I had a professor in seminary. He was a guest professor. Most of my professors didn't believe the Word of God. But this man did. And he was a thoroughgoing evangelical. His name was Dr. Stuart Barton Babbage. And uh, one time in class, where there were a bunch of students and some of the liberal professors, he said this, fellow Christians, do not deprive your people on Sunday of the Word of God. Read at least 50 verses. So we're going to please Dr. Stuart Barbara Baptist. <laughs> Not going to read 50 verses, we're going to read 60 verses. And somebody asked me this morning, what happened to uh, chapter 40? In the bulletin it says I'm preaching on chapter 41, which is what I'm doing, but we're also throwing chapter 40 in there as well. Because this tells a complete story. There's no way you can, uh, there's no break in chapter 40 and 41. You just got to keep going. So you don't have to stand up today. Uh, because there is 20-some verses in chapter 40 and 50-some verses in chapter 41. So let us give our best attention to the reading of the Word of God. <clears throat> then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Israel offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them. And they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in the confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, we've had a dream, and there's no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hands. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. 
For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing that they should have put me in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among the servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hands. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile, and lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the march grass. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven years of grain came up, seven years of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched, by the east wind sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and fat ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now it came about in the morning that his spirit was troubled. So he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all his wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. And we had a dream on the same night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams to us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came about that just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to office, but he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. And they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, 
but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, In my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. And behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile, and they grazed in the marsh grass. And lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I had never seen for ugliness in all the land of Egypt. And the lean and the ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. Yet when they had devoured them, it could not be detected that they had devoured them, for they were just as ugly as before. Then I awoke. I saw also in my dream, and behold, seven ears full of good came up on a single stalk. And those seven ears, withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed the seven good ears. Then I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven Good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. And the seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind shall be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land, and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years, that are coming, and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority, and let them guard it, and let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there's no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. And he had him ride in his second chariot. And they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph zephanath paneah and he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And during the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. It's a great story. And it really happened. So I want to hit the highlights. There's a lot of revelation going on here. A lot of pagans having dreams. And the dreams didn't originate in their minds. These dreams originated with the living God. Uh, God was telling them something. God revealed himself in the Old Testament through dreams, through visions, through the angel of the Lord. And all these people were having dreams. A cupbearer, a baker, a pharaoh, Joseph, all kinds of people were having dreams. 
because God was revealing something to Joseph and even to these pagan Egyptians. Why was all this revelation going on? Why was God giving dreams to people, disturbing them, making them go to Joseph to interpret these dreams? Because God was preparing Egypt to receive and to protect the church of God, the covenant community, the family of Jacob. That's what all this is about. All of this is about how God's going to use Egypt to save his people from famine, from death, and from sin. Joseph represents the word of God, and the word of God comes to Egypt. And God reveals himself through the representative of that word in, in powerful ways that scared them to death, that they couldn't understand unless they had an interpreter. And so remember this one point. What all this is about is God is revealing himself to these Egyptians because he's preparing Egypt to receive and to protect the church of God. And if Egypt had not protected the church of God represented in the family of Jacob and let it starve to death in this global famine, you would not have a savior. You would be lost for all eternity. Because these people were the ancestors of the Savior of the world, Jesus himself. And if they died off in that global famine, <laughs> there wouldn't be any ancestors of Jesus, at which means there wouldn't be any Jesus, and there wouldn't be any Savior. So this is not just a fascinating story. This is a story that's direct, directly related to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we start out... And we talked about this a little bit last week. Joseph's in jail. He's not in jail for anything that he should be in jail for. He's in jail because he was a servant of Potiphar, the captain of the Pharaoh's secret service. And Potiphar's wife decided he wanted, she wanted to seduce Joseph. So she tried to seduce him, but he fled and would not give in to her seductions. So she lied about him, and she told Pharaoh, this young guy tried to rape me, and I screamed to high heavens, and he fled, and he fled so fast I tore his clothes off of him. Of course, Pharaoh, of course Potiphar believed his wife, so he put jo Joseph in prison. Joseph was 17 years old. Next time we read about Joseph's age is when he goes before Pharaoh. And he's 30. And he was in jail for 13 years. And he proved himself faithful. He knew he was being lied about, 
unjustly punished. He was faithful through all those days in the prison, so faithful, in fact, that the chief jailer made him the supervisor of the prisoners because he knew he could trust Joseph. So Joseph is continuing to be humiliated. Who would think that this 17-year-old boy who was lied about, who's in a jail for 13 years, would ever be the number two man in the whole dynasty of Egypt? Only God. And so behind all this whole story is the absolute, total sovereignty of Almighty God, causing everything to come to pass in a way that he wants it to happen so he can get this Hebrew boy on the throne of Egypt and be the Redeemer and Savior of the Church of Israel. So that church would produce eventually the Savior of the world. So the cupbearer, there was a cupbearer that somebody that drank uh, Pharaoh's wine before he did and so to see if it was poison or not. So there was a cupbearer to Pharaoh, and there was a baker of, bear, of Pharaoh in jail. They had both made Pharaoh terribly angry. Probably maybe the wine wasn't good. Maybe the, the bread had burned. Boy, it could be anything. Because remember, Pharaoh is a self-proclaimed god. Of all the gods of Egypt, Pharaoh is one. So anyway, these two people are in jail, and they both have strange dreams the same night. Joseph is there, so uh, they ask him. They respect him. They get the idea that Joseph may really be a prophet and has wisdom beyond human wisdom. And so they said, let us tell you are a dream, and you tell us what they meant. So then you meant, remember the two dreams. They were highly symbolic, and nobody could figure out what they meant. Look back in the 40th chapter. The cupbearer says in three days, there's going to be three branches growing his grapevine, a lot of grapes on those grapevines, He's going to squeeze them into a cup and he's going to give that cup to Pharaoh. Be restored to his place. Joseph said, here's what that means. In three days, Pharaoh's going to remember you and you're going to go back to your original position as cupbearer to the Pharaoh. And the baker says, well, tell me something good, too. Interpret my dream. Joseph said, tell me your dream. He said, I had three baskets of bread on my head. Top basket had every kind of bread under the sun in it. But then the birds came and ate up all the bread. And then there's sort of a little play on words, you notice. Moses might have been in interjecting some humor because Joseph said to the cupbearer, Pharaoh's going to lift you, your head up to a place of greatness. And then he says to the baker, God's going to lift your head up too. 
you're going to be hanged. And uh, it came true. Both of those things came exactly true as Joseph had said. And Joseph said to the cupbearer, remember me now. When, he, when Pharaoh restores you to your position, remember me. I want to get out of this place. So the cupbearer is restored to his position. More years go by. And also the baker is uh, beheaded. Joseph still rotting in prison. And then the cupbearer years later remembers Joseph. And he says uh, to the Pharaoh, Your Majesty, I have offended somebody. There was somebody who was in prison with me and the baker. He interpreted our dreams. The dreams came true, just as he said. And he asked me to remember him to you, if you ever need an interpreter of dreams. Forgot. Forgot. So I recommend Joseph. For what? Pharaoh had had a dream. So but he had this weird dream, and he calls all the wizards and all the magicians and all the wise men of Egypt before him, of which there were plenty. Because there were so many different religions. And so Pharaoh told them his dreams. Not one of them could interpret it. That's when the cupbearer remembered Joseph. He tells the Pharaoh, man has divine wisdom. This man can interpret dreams. He's a man you want to call for. Now let's stop right here. In this story, now we're, in the, we're getting into chapter 41. In this story, there are three main characters. Jehovah, Pharaoh, and Joseph. Pharaoh, of course, is the main actor. He's the star. He's the one that's causing all this stuff to happen. He's the one behind everything that's going on in Joseph's life, Pharaoh's life, Egypt's life, Israel's life. Jehovah, the sovereign God, is the main actor in this story. And then there's Pharaoh. You know, we don't really know who this Pharaoh is. There are a lot of Pharaohs in Egypt, but we don't know which one this is. But there is a little there is a little hint if you're a history buff you caught it it said Pharaoh said to Joseph I'm going to ride in the first chariot you're going to ride in the second chariot Egypt did not have chariots until the Hyksos people invaded and conquered Egypt. Now the Hyksos people 
were an ethnic group of Canaanites. And they invaded Egypt. And they conquered Egypt. And for several generations, the Pharaoh of Egypt was a Hyksos. And the Hyksos invented chariots. And Egypt didn't have any chariots until the Hyksos came. So, whoever this Pharaoh is, more than likely he was a Hyksos person. So he had this dream. Verse 14 of chapter 41. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he changed himself and changed his clothes, why in the world did they talk about Joseph shaving himself? What does that have to do with anything? Well, if you've seen Yule Brenner in the Ten Commandments, you'll notice he had no facial hair and no hair on his head because it was the custom of Egyptians to shave themselves. They didn't have beards and they didn't have hair on their heads. The Hebrews all had beards. So now why is Joseph is trying to make it as comfortable as possible for Pharaoh? Because after all, Joseph is a lot younger than Pharaoh. Make Pharaoh as comfortable as possible in listening to what he's going to say. So Joseph dresses like an Egyptian. When he shaved himself and changed his clothes, it came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, get the picture. Here we are in the throne room of the most powerful man in the world. Richest man in the world. He rode Egypt, and in front of him is a young Hebrew man of an agrarian culture. He's just gotten out of a dungeon. So Pharaoh says, I brought you before me because I hear that you can interpret dreams. Now notice Joseph's response, three things. The first thing Joseph does is correct the most powerful man in the world. He says, I hear you can interpret dream, dreams. Joseph said, no, sir. Without me, God interpret dreams. You're wrong. Most powerful man in the world. How many people have been beheaded by Pharaoh for correcting him. So Joseph corrects him in verse 16. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me, but God, the God of the Hebrews, not the God of the Egyptians. Pharaoh's a God, not even Pharaoh. God of the Hebrews is the one that interprets dreams, not me. 
Then what's the next thing Joseph did in answer to Pharaoh? Told Pharaoh that God of the Hebrews was going to work out his will in the Pharaoh's life. Let's go and see what he says. Verse 17, so Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, In my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, and behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile, and they grazed in the marsh grass. And lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I've never seen for ugliness in all the land of Egypt. And the lean and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. Yet when they ate them, you couldn't tell they ate them because they were just as skinny and ugly as they were before they ate them. Then I awoke, says Pharaoh. I saw also in my dream seven ears, stalks with seven ears on them, full, good, plump ears of grain. And then seven withered, thin, scorched by the east wind, ears of grain came up and ate the fat grain, the ears. And yet those seven uh, gaunt ears, those seven scorched ears, they weren't any different. 24, he said, I told this to my magicians, but there was no one to explain it to me. So you got seven fat cows, you got seven skinny cows. The seven fat cows are eaten up by the seven skinny cows. Where were all these cows? Eat grass on the Nile River. That's what disturbed Pharaoh. What disturbed Pharaoh was not that he couldn't figure out what all this symbolism meant. What disturbed Pharaoh and kept him awake at night is if anything happens to the Nile River, Egypt is gone. The Nile River is the life of Egypt. So now he's terribly disturbed. And so here's the second thing that Joseph does to him. Look in verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The God of the Hebrews, Jehovah, Elohim, is telling Pharaoh in this dream what he, Jehovah, is about to do. Not what the gods of Egypt are about to do. Not what Pharaoh's about to do but he's teaching Pharaoh about God. Young Hebrew boy, young man, teaching, correcting, edifying, preaching to the most powerful man in the world about the God of the Hebrew. And he's saying to this mighty Pharaoh, God has a plan for your life. 
and he is going to carry it through. And there's nothing you can do to stop him. There's going to be seven abundant years of harvest, good harvests. Then there's going to be seven lean years of famine. So look how many times he talks about God here, verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams were one of the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. And the seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven thin years scorched by the east wind shall be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. Second time, sir, if you didn't get it once, I'm going to tell you again. God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come. And all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine. For it will be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means for the third time, the matter is determined by God, the God of the Hebrews, and God will quickly bring it about. Rages, isn't he? Not your gods. Your gods are useless. They can't stop the famine. My God will bring abundance, and will bring famine. So, Mr. Pharaoh, I'm going to give you a plan of action. And you imagine a Hebrew boy who was a slave giving advice to the most powerful man in all the earth. Now he's going to give him advice. Here's what you want to do. Here's what you got to do. Verse 33. And now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it and let the food become as a reserve for the land and the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish during the lifetime. Did you get that? He's saying, Mr. Pharaoh, you follow my plan, or Egypt will end. Verse 37. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like a channel of water. He can turn it in whatever way he will. This is the mighty, self-proclaimed God of Egypt. And God's turning his heart to listen to this Hebrew young man. 
Some people would say that Joseph is audacious. Nothing audacious about it. This is holy boldness. Remember, Joseph knows he's a prophet. Joseph understands that his duty is to preach the word of God as it's revealed to him in his dreams and as it's revealed to him in other people's dreams. And he preaches the gospel by interpreting those dreams. Joseph, there's nothing audacious about God. This is a staggering courage and boldness to correct the most powerful man in the world, to teach the most powerful man in the world that it's only the God of Hebrews that works out things in Egypt's life, and to give the most powerful man in the world a plan of action that if he does not follow this Hebrews plan of action, Egypt will be destroyed in famine. That reminds me, and I've told this before, but it, it's worth telling again, about Samuel Davies. Samuel Davies was a colonial, backwoods, Virginia, Presbyterian preacher in the middle 1700s. He was the pastor of Patrick Henry. If you come to my house, I'll show you a book in my library with Samuel Davies' signature written in it. So Samuel Davies has the privilege of preaching between, to King George of England. This will have been about the 1740s. Everybody in the room is royal. Lords and ladies, princes and princesses, and the king of England, one of the most powerful kings in the world, and his queen. And Samuel Davies stands there at the front of the room, great old Presbyterian Calvinist. Wasn't old, actually. He was very, very young. And he uh, preaches the gospel to the King of England. The King George gets bored. So he starts talking to the Queen. And Samuel Davies tries to preach as long as he can but the king is just interrupting everything. So Samuel Davies stops preaching. Just stands right there in front of the king and stops preaching as long as the king's talking. The king didn't notice because he was talking. He didn't notice that Samuel Davies had stopped preaching. But everybody else in the room did. I mean, everybody, you can fear, you can see the fear in people's faces. What's going to happen to this Virginia's Presbyterian preacher. So finally the king realized that Samuel Davies had stopped preaching. And so the king stopped talking. And he looked at Samuel Davies. <laughs> and Samuel Davies looked at him and said, Your Majesty, when the lion roars, the beast of the forest tremble. When the Lord God Almighty speaks, let the kings of the earth keep silence before him. And he finished his sermon. Well, that's the boldness that Joseph is showing here for this powerful Pharaoh. So he says, Pharaoh, you need to appoint a supervisor. You need to appoint a supervisor with plenty potentiary power. You know what plenty potentiary power is? It means you got plenty of power. 
uh, who could oversee the food supply and who can prepare Egypt for the coming famine. So, verse 38, Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is a divine spirit, somebody to whom God reveals himself? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since you're God, he's talking about Elohim, he's not talking about the beetles and the frogs and the alligators they worshipped in Egypt. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there's no one so discerning and wise as you are, Hebrew boy slave. She'll be over my house. Now, I want you to see how highly exalted Joseph is. Pharaoh says, you shall be over my whole house, my whole administration. And Egypt, you know, had uh, the second largest bureaucracy in the history of kingdoms. This massive bureaucracy that controlled every detail of Egyptian life. The only other bureaucracy in history that was bigger and more controlling than the bureaucracy of Egypt was, is, the American bureaucracy. So he says, I'm going to make you head over all my bureaucracy, and according to your command, all people shall do you homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. You're going to be the number two man in all of Egypt, Joseph. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on his Hebrew slave's hand. and clothed him in garments of fine linen, put the gold necklace around his neck, and he had him ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee to Joseph. Set him over all the land of Egypt had more straight uh, administrative power than even even uh, Pharaoh himself. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Joseph had complete control of Egypt. Complete dictatorial, totalitarian control of the whole nation of Egypt. Nobody could move a muscle, lift a finger, take a step without getting permission of this Hebrew. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zephonath Paneah, and he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, as his wife. 
and Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. So Pharaoh gave him an Egyptian name. Egyptian name, if you, if you paraphrase it, in all its uh, full connotations, you could translate it, the redeemer of the world and preserver of life. You think Joseph is a type of Christ or not? The redeemer of the world and the preserver of life was the name Pharaoh called Joseph. And Pharaoh gave him a wife, a woman called Asenath, who was the daughter a great priest. Now, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to marry Christians, non-Christians. Ever uh, throughout Joseph's ancestors, they were always getting in trouble by marrying non-Christians. This woman, Asenath, daughter of the high priest of some Egyptian god, Joseph's wife. Well, you have every reason to believe, knowing what you know about Joseph now, knowing what you will know, you have every reason to believe that he led her to conversion and to Christ before or after they got married. I mean, that's not a, just a wishful thinking. You have, no, you have every reason to believe that. You know how faithful and true Joseph was. You know that after they got married, they had two sons. And Manasseh and Ephraim, guess what? Those were not Egyptian names. Those were Hebrew names. Those were names of the covenant people. Here's another little goodie. There was a famous Jewish philosopher, theologian named Philo. And Philo lived 50 years before Christ and was one of the most popular writers in all of the ancient world. And Philo wrote a novel. And the title of the novel, which was a bestseller, Joseph and Asenath. And in that book, he writes about how Joseph led Asenath to conversion. So we have every reason to believe that either before or after they got married, he became one of the covenant people. So now Joseph is called in Egypt, everybody calls him Redeemer of the world, Preserver of life. Verse 45. 
Now, Joseph was 30 years old, still a young man. Why do you reckon they pointed out how old he was? I think probably two reasons. One, to let you know how long he stayed in prison. 17 when he went to prison. He didn't get out till he was 30 years old. 13 years. There's probably another reason, too. Older men find it very difficult often to learn and to be corrected by younger men. Joseph was younger than Pharaoh. Yet Pharaoh was humble enough to submit himself to the word that came out of Joseph's mouth. Verse 47, And during the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and placed the food in the cities, he placed in every city the food from its surrounding fields. I mean, he was in complete control of the food supply of Egypt. Then Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. The harvest was so abundant that when he started saving up the food supply for the famine, it was just, there was just more food than he could count. Now, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Umasenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Hebrew names. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands, plural. All in the land of Egypt, there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh couldn't do anything about it. So Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, you shall do. The most powerful man in the world. Saying, Don't ask me, I don't know, but go to Joseph. Let's stop here before we read the last two verses. What conclusion can you come to so far? Joseph was the most powerful Christian that ever lived. No Christian has ever, not even Oliver Cromwell, no Christian has ever the totalitarian power 
Joseph had. Why did God give it to him? Why did God turn Pharaoh's heart to trust Joseph with everything? Because God was preparing Egypt to receive and preserve the church, the family of Jacob, so that it would survive, and someday out of that family, the Savior of the world would be born. The Redeemer of the world with a capital R. The Preserver of life with a capital P. Now notice the last two verses. And the famine was spread over all the face of the earth. This wasn't just a local thing. This was a famine that was all over the face of the earth. And Joseph ordered all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians and opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And all the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because for the third time the famine was severe in all the earth. Brown and tan people of southern Africa, black people of middle Africa, the tan people of northern Africa, tan and brown people of the Middle East, all the nations around the Mediterranean, Australia as an island which nobody knew yet, North America, South America, all the world at that moment was experiencing global famine. And the only place anybody in the world could get food was from this Hebrew boy. It was a type of Christ. Only place in all the world you can get salvation. Only place in all the world you can get food to satisfy. The only place in all the world where you can escape the corruption of the Canaanites is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why God wanted his people enslaved in Egypt so they wouldn't be corrupted by the immorality of the Canaanites. That's how much God loved his covenant people. That's how much God loves you. He would rather you be enslaved by a bunch of socialists and racists and arrogant perverters of the faith in the 21st century than be corrupted and dominated. So take advantage of this time. Hey, Lord, I thank you that life is rough for me and it's even going to be rougher for my children. Maybe rougher for my grandchildren. But thank you so much for loving us in Christ 
that your willingness to put us in Egypt to be, keep us be, being corrupted by the Antichrist. Then when we've learned the lessons that God wants us to learn and the church has repented of her sins and come back to the gospel, God will let us go back to a land flowing with milk and honey. Lord, we love this story. We love it not only because of the lessons that it teaches us. We love it because it's true. Pray for it, Father, that we would learn everything you want us to learn from this. And from the great example, this young Hebrew named Joseph. Lord, we know he is an example for Christians in the 21st century. Help us to be as godly, as faithful, as pure, as courageous, as full of faith as Joseph was when he controlled Egypt. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.